It's essential to recruit the right people for your business. You want a good match, drive, attitude and commitment. According to my guest today, financial services recruitment often turns into a CV race with little regard for the real needs of the recruiting company. Jess believes in a different approach. Hear how Jess started Sandringham Wood Recruitment and her thoughts on doing financial services recruitment the right way. Listen to her ideas on how to inject new blood into the financial services industry. That's all right here in episode 39 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. So let's get started with today's interview and I am delighted to introduce you to my guest and she is Jess Wood. Jess is the MD and founder of Sandringham Wood Recruitment, specialising in financial services recruitment. She's known for her ability to engage with people, being down to earth, realistic and having a no-nonsense approach to what she does. A little known fact about Jess is that she got charged at by a hairy ass buffalo in South Africa on her 40th birthday, which she says was a really nice treat. So Jess, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Hi Roger. How are you today? Really well, thanks. Really well. And the weather's not too good down south, I believe. No, it's a bit mixed, a bit mixed, but it's uh, hopefully it will improve for the weekend. That'd be nice. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Jess, and we're going to talk about financial services recruitment today and trying to maybe bring some new blood into the industry and maybe even some younger blood. But before we get on to that, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what your ambitions are, where you came from, how your career's progressed. Basically, tell us all about what makes you tick. Okay. Well, um, I left school at 16, um, wasn't particularly academic and decided that I wanted to start a career. So I had interviews with Sun Life and Royal and Sun Alliance at the age of 16. And um, dependent on which one I did more, you know, did well at was the one I went for and actually got the job with Sun Life. So I worked in financial services for a number of years, both in the provider environment and then moved into the IFA sector, which I spent a few years at as head of administration role. Uh, prior to trying my hand at recruitment, which I came into 15 years ago. Uh, haven't looked back since. I previously worked as a managing partner for a uh, another recruitment firm where I helped set up and rebuild the financial services team. We introduced general insurance and I played a key role in bringing in other specialisms into that business, which was accountancy and finance and helping bring in people that could kind of you know boost that part of the business. Um, I then decided about six years ago to uh, form my own business. It's something I've wanted to do for a while uh, and I didn't want to leave it too late and look back in my late 40s and think, oh God, I should have done it sooner. I suppose what I've tried to achieve over the last few years is build up a real solid reputation 
um, for working really closely with businesses and helping them in any way we can in order to try to find the best people for their business in order to, to help their business grow. I suppose this is completely backed up as well by some of our testimonials. We've got some really good ones from people that have been quite satisfied with what we've done for them over the years from both clients and candidates. So recruitment's very much the topic of the day, Jess. And you've done a survey recently, haven't you, that you want to, uh, you want to tell us about? Yes, that's right. I mean, this is a bit of a scoop. The, the results aren't out yet as such. We're still working on finalising the research paper. And basically what we did, we can see that there's quite a skills shortage within in, in the industry and sort of a bit of a lack of movement, particularly in the sort of financial planning sector. So what we decided to do was put out a survey to see kind of what an employer is really looking for, what a candidate is looking for and see where there may be some disconnect and that there is a little bit in the sort of results that we're seeing coming through right now. Um, we um, put the survey out through the IFP, through their client database, as well as through social media, through our candidate and client database as well. Um, some of the things that we are finding in the survey is things like um, employer branding is much more important to candidates than employers think it is, and their company profile, interview experience, all that kind of stuff seems to be more important to candidates than companies actually think it is. Um, one of the other things that we've, we're seeing coming through is we asked candidates what actually attracted them to their current role. And you'd have thought maybe salary was the top of the agenda, and it actually wasn't. It was things like company profile. It was things like training and development. Um, obviously, salary is always an important factor, but you know it wasn't the overriding decisions to what attracted them to their current role. When we asked them if they were looking to move, what would be their key driver, funnily enough, that is now becoming more and more salary orientated. Now, I haven't written all the, the, the final sort of um, insights around all this, but what I'm thinking that could be is because we've been through a recession over the last few years, there's been limited pay bumps. Um, some candidates we've spoken to haven't had a pay rise for six years, Roger. No. So I think that uh, as we're coming out of the recession, the economy is getting you know better and stronger. Um, we've got um, companies, there's more jobs becoming available on the marketplace. I think candidates are now thinking, well, actually, you know, I know my worth. I don't want to move for a similar salary or less. I want more because, you know, cost of living has gone up and the salaries haven't really gone up with it. So I think we're going back to seeing, and maybe it's just a blip, that salary is becoming much more of a key driver here and now than it was maybe a few years ago. Why do you think we have this skills shortage in financial planning? And what do we need to do to get more new blood into the industry? I think, um, I mean, the average age of a financial planner or advisor, depending on what you want to call them, uh, is mid-50s. Okay. Um, I think there's a credibility factor where a lot of financial planners believe that you have to be of a certain age in order to be, to be a credible financial planner. Not necessarily the case. We're not bringing in enough uh, trainees. A lot of the, especially the sort of SME type businesses that we deal with, and there's still a lot out there. They're not all being gobbled up by the big national nationals. There's not enough training and development to bring new people into the industry. And we're not just talking about younger people. We have to be wary of age discrimination laws here. I'm talking about other people from other industries that could have transferable skill sets. You know, teaching, for example. You know, we can move people that want to come out of the teaching industry with their transferable skills into financial planning roles. That's what, there's not really one definitive answer. There's a whole myriad of things that may be causing the problem. So many clients want the finished article all the time and aren't, don't seem to want to spend a bit of time training or filling in where there might be some gaps. 
Okay, so what we're really looking at is there is a, a finite number of people out there and firms aren't really looking to train people up. They really want to recruit people who effectively can do the job immediately and there just aren't that n- number of people out there. No, they're not. And if they're, if they're being looked after quite well within the current company, then why would they leave? Indeed. Um, Indeed. And what other um, findings have come out of the survey you've done? Mainly around uh, training and development. The, the views, I think, on, on training and development. Clients want, sorry, candidates want it. Companies don't necessarily see that as being really important. But I think now nowadays, if you want to get on in life, some people have to take ownership of some of that training and development themselves. Where I mean is you've got to put the effort in if you want something. Take away information, go home, read up. You know, we've got so much information at the touch of a button now. Don't rely on looking for a new job and saying, uh, well, I'm halfway through my, you know, financial planning qualifications. I'm looking for a company that's going to support me through the rest. Because quite often that company wants somebody who kind of already got it. So maybe take some ownership. I know it's they're not the cheapest things, these exams, but you've got to sort of sometimes take ownership of your own career because not everybody else does it for you. So just tell us a little bit about Sandringham and where did you come up with the idea from? You, you've been in business for a few years now, but take us back to the beginning when the idea first came to you and almost that light bulb moment. Tell us the story of how your business came about. Uh, right, the honest answer. <laughs> right. um, obviously, been in recruitment a number of years. I was working with another firm, and oh, maybe I just got a little bit disheartened with the way things were going where I was. And there was a moment when I was in a meeting that I said something that it came out of my mouth, well, it should have been a thought. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I thought, actually, I think this is time. I've always wanted to do it. I think it's time for me to go and try it and see if I can do it on my own. So we came up with the idea of um, having a solid name for the business. Um, my husband thought Sandringham sounded quite posh. And um, someone else said, well, you need to put your name in there somewhere. So we tagged our surname on the end of the name of the company. Um, I had done some research before in terms of what candidates remember when they, if you ask a candidate who else they're registered with, invariably the companies that had abbreviated names for their businesses were not that memorable. That's interesting. It is, yeah. I'm registered with uh, some, some do, you know, they, they couldn't really remember. So the other way of coming up with a business name was to come up with something that was really quite solid. And I think a lot of people have said to me that, yeah, it's quite a solid name. So. And what did you find with some of the, uh, I don't know what, how you would say, the deficiencies of the existing recruitment model? And, and what were you looking to improve upon with Sandringham? With Sandringham, we've been sort of um, working either with a lot of, what we've done over the last couple of years is work with either a lot of you know, startup businesses and small SMEs and growing businesses. It's, it's quite difficult as a small bespoke type recruiter to get on the preferred supplier lists for the big, big companies. And having, because we're not just big enough, we're not a you know, big high street recruitment company, uh, even though we've, we probably provide a better level of service, but you know, that's just the way these things work. So our business model has been very much working with you know, small growing businesses. However, we have experience and I have experienced the preferred supplier situation. Now, a lot of companies um, do tend to operate on this model. They'll place their one or two vacancies with a whole myriad of different recruiters that they refer to as a preferred supplier list. 
basically what it does. I think this model is totally flawed, by the way, Roger. Okay. Basically what it does is it just pitches recruiter against recruiter. So it's a CV race. It's the first past the post gets that introduction of that candidate. The problem you've got is the HR teams or internal recruitment teams that appoints external recruiters on a PSL basis. They really don't have the time to build solid relationships, to spend time with those recruiters, explaining what the role's really about. There's no real access to the hiring manager to get to to get under the skin of the business to understand what that team looks like, what the personalities are like within it where there's the skills gap, where, you know, really what that hiring manager is looking for. So invariably, all these recruiters do get is just a, a group email that's sent out to them with a job description attached and a salary bound, and they go, off you pop, go fill this job. Because they're in a CV race, everything gets watered down. So they don't spend the time then with the candidate. They don't really understand the role and the, the intricacies. Yes, they might on face value see it in paper and go, oh yeah, I understand that that's a power planning job, for example but they don't really understand all the other intricacies. So what they'll do is they'll rush off and they'll you know, go and find candidates. They'll speak to a candidate five minutes during their lunch break, give them the name of the company, very little else, just so that they can get that CV into that inbox before everybody else does. So really it doesn't benefit the candidate because they're not getting a thorough screening, there's no one really talking to them about their career aspirations, what they're really looking for. Because actually once you delve down this candidate's experience and their aspirations, this company might not be right for them. Indeed. But at that point in time, Roger, it doesn't matter. It's a CV race, so everyone's getting the CVs over. Also, because if you haven't thoroughly matched the candidate's expectations and their experience, what they're looking for, you could end up with a situation of, you know, wrong candidates being put actually into the interview process. Everything is rushed. Everything's a bit slapdash. Um, it can lead to counter-offers because the candidate wasn't that invested in the first place, perhaps. Or even, a worst case scenario, a mismatch in the actual overall hiring process where the candidate doesn't stay in the role that long. Right. And guess who gets blamed for that? The recruitment agency. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's all about providing a professional service. For example, say I had a quarter of a million pounds to invest, right? I wouldn't go to five different local financial planning firms and say, right, I've got a quarter of a million pounds to invest. Here you go, off you pop. Come back, with me, with me, come back to me with some solutions. I would expect them to gain further detailed information to enable them to do their job properly. Right. But in recruitment, it doesn't seem to be like that. It's here, have a job spec, this is what we need. Yeah. And it's all just, I just think it's flawed. What's your solution, Jess? What is Sandringham doing which is different to this flawed model? Again, I suppose it goes back to working with um, companies that we can build. You know, why would I want to be part of that situation? where it makes me feel that I'm not doing my job well enough by either the client or the candidate, or should I focus with our business is what we're trying to do, focus on those companies that actually do want to invest time to get the right people on board. You know, if people are your best assets, why would you not invest the time with a recruiter to get the right talent for your business? This is quite interesting and, and quite shocking to me, actually. I mean, I've come into this conversation t with you today, Jess, with very little knowledge about the recruitment industry. And, and, and in the course of my career, I've dealt with recruiters from both ends. So I've, I've dealt with them wanting to recruit people and I've dealt with them as they've been trying to recruit me. I would have thought that it was the natural thing to do would be to sit down with the person who's wanting to recruit and just go into an amazing amount of detail about the job spec and about what the um, 
competencies are and the skills that are needed. It just seems really strange that that often doesn't happen. Mm, I think in some respects, um, no, and I agree with what you say. I mean, I think in some respects, um, the recruitment industry per se uh, has made a bit of a rod for its own back over the years. I mean, this whole contingency recruitment model <clears throat> is flawed. Um, we're not being paid for the amount of time we spend doing something. It's all back-end rewarded. Right. So you could spend a lot of time uh, working on a vacancy. Um, you don't fill it, but you don't get paid for any of that. So, and if you do fill the vacancy, then you're rewarded. Um, I think the recruitment industry has possibly made a rod for its own back by saying, yes, all right, we'll work in this way because we're so happy that we've won an account with XYZ Big Company. Mm -hmm. We're on their preferred supplier list, yeehaw. Actually, by not charging for what we do, more regularly now i'm not saying that um there are such firms out there there are sort of headhunters that work in a, it's a slightly different space where they do charge on a retained basis what i'm referring to is the sort of the more commonplace way recruitment is conducted in financial services uh, industry at sort of certain levels you know you could find the director level roles might be handled in a slightly different way but the norm is for it to work kind of this way with the large companies i suppose what i'm trying to say is if you give something for free, because we all say as recruiters, yeah, we'll happy be on this PSL and we'll do everything for nothing in the vain hope that we might get some money if we make a placement, then we're making a rod for our own backs. Um, and I suppose that if something is perceived as free, then it has no value. So when these companies decide to give their one or two vacancies to 10 different recruitment firms, there's no skin off their notes, is it? No. They're not for it. They're just going, here you go, here's the job description. You might have a brief chat if you're lucky with you know someone in the recruitment team internally, but it's not costing them anything. So it becomes, you know, there's no value really to it at all. If, for example, Let's look at another way. Say I had, um, obviously I run my own business and I have to do my VAT returns and my, you know, the books and everything. So say I had all my account stuff together and I went to an accountant and I said, right, okay, I've, here you go, here's all my stuff and I'd like you to do my accounts for me. Oh, but by the way, Mr. Accountant, I've given the same information to four or five of your competitors and whoever comes up with my completed accounts the quickest, I will pay. You can imagine what response I'd get from an accountant if I said that. You'd be shown the door pretty quickly, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think they would, uh, not wanting to uh, swear in this interview, I think that, that, you know, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't get a favourable response, put it that way. I'd probably get told to jog on. <laughs> so ass assuming for a <laughs> moment... That's how recruiters work. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so assuming for a moment that I'm looking for, I don't know, let's say a, a senior financial advisor, senior um, financial planner, take me through the process that you would take me through as someone who was approaching Sandringham. So I'm coming to you and I'm looking for the senior financial planner. What's the process we go through? The process I'll go through is um, dependent on location of where you are, but certainly we want to spend some time getting to know the business, what type of people are in the company already, and obviously you can do some of this research online as well, but understanding the types of business they transact, uh, what areas of specialism they do, what their client base looks like, what, what, what their client proposition is, what they charge, really getting to know that business, and also understanding the type of character that would work with the existing team. Okay. And I want to do this as much as I could on a face-to-face -face basis, as opposed to saying, just give me your job description and off I'll go. 
And then we would talk about people, uh, say, you know, is there any particularly, you know, particular backgrounds you're looking for for the person? You know, would you want them to, you know, what firms would you like them to work for in the past? Because that quite often comes up in conversation. Um, would you be looking to work, look at somebody that's come from a bank assurance environment? Would you have training in place? There's just there's so many questions you have to ask in order to be able to go out there and do the job properly. Um, and it's not just all about the job description and the pay and benefits. It's far more important, you know, it's far more important stuff to be talking about just than just that. And have you found it difficult to effectively book the trend here? I mean, obviously starting a new business is challenging enough, um, trying to break into a market, trying to do something new and innovative. But if you are going completely against the established way of doing things, it must have been quite difficult for you to get your initiative off the ground. Yeah, and it's still it's still in process. What I what I've been talking to is some quite well known people in the industry, um, more so again on the financial planning side. And I've talked to them about you know the way the financial planners are working nowadays on a fee bit basis. Now some are charging um, fees on a you know time spent. Some are charging on you know the percentage of funds under management and all that kind of stuff. But I've just been started to put the feelers out to to people that I've worked with in the past or they know me or I've started to work with to see whether or not that they would be up for paying a fee to a recruiter for, I don't know how it would work, by the time spent or a day rate, whatever. And actually, they're quite receptive to it. So it is something I'm looking at doing. Still, as an offering alongside the normal contingency, so I'm not going to be stupid enough to just scrap that straight away. I'm brave, but let's not say that brave. Uh, but then put in place another payment package. Right. And this is what we're going to be doing, rolling out over the course of this year. Well, we're having our website rebranded over the next few months, so that will be brought in as part of that as well, Roger. So, and then see how we go, see if it's uh, um, well received. And are financial planning companies receptive to this approach, or do they feel that it's a little bit weird what you're doing, and they actually prefer the CV race approach? No, actually, the sensible ones, and I'm t- probably talking the smaller businesses, if I'm honest, who want bang for buck and they want good value for money, are actually going, well, actually, Jess, yeah, because you've helped us write our job descriptions, you've helped with this, you found us the perfect candidate, you've done this thing, yeah, why, why shouldn't you be rewarded for the actual work that you're doing along the process? I mean, far too often, I think these, um, some companies think we just pluck a candidate out of thin air and drop them into an office on a Monday morning <laughs> and charge this horrendously large fee for it, but you're paying for everything that's gone on in the background beforehand. Does that make sense? It does indeed, it does yeah. indeed. Jess, what's the one big idea then that you'd like listeners of the Empath podcast to take away from the experiences you've had building Sandringham? I think, um, the, yeah, the one big idea for me would be to look at the better ways we can improve the recruitment process for both clients and candidates so everyone gets the best out of it. Um, and that may be a switch to um, working more closely with less recruiters and also looking at um, a potentially a proper fee-based model going forward, which is what I said just a minute ago that we wanted to bring in over the course of um, the summer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What would be the most important thing you think you've learned from your business model as you've been building Sandringham Business? Uh, the most important thing I've learned? Uh, to be... To treat people how that we want to be treated ourselves a big motto. I know it's cheesy, but we do. I think that we've learned to be extremely flexible. We're a small bespoke business. Um, it's not one size fits all with us. We don't have 
loads and loads of you know hierarchy that says, oh no, you have to do it in this way. We can tailor make our service to meet the client's requirements and just provide really good service and quite a lot of fun while we do it. And so what would your advice be to people who are looking today to recruit new financial planners or new financial advisors? I think with um, the best way, I, the, the good advice that I could give would be to work with recruiters that you can really trust. You know, trust to get to know your business culture, your ethos and what you strive to achieve so they can deliver the best people for you. Um, if you do appoint a myriad of different recruitment firms, do you have the time to do this with every recruiter out there that you engage with? Probably not. And if people are your best assets, why wouldn't you invest the time in a recruiter to assist you in attracting that talent for your business going forward? That's really interesting. I really like your approach, Jess. And as I say, I've come to this knowing very little about the recruitment industry, but it's really refreshing to hear the ideas that you've brought into your business. And just thinking a little bit wider uh, about something you said earlier about bringing new blood into the financial services industry. Obviously, a lot of the people you recruit are being recruited from existing financial firms or product providers. How do you think as an industry we need to change to attract more younger people in or graduates or people from outside the financial services industry? What can we do to make financial services more attractive to people? I think it'd be useful to get some well-known industry people into schools perhaps and into universities to share with them what it, what financial planning is about, why it's important. Uh, I know that the, I think Sheffield Hallam University does a good financial services degree, but I also believe it'd be useful to encourage these grads to get some in- internship work whilst they're studying. Um, funny enough, I've got a candidate that I'm bringing this afternoon, Roger, who has done exactly that. He's, he's been studying at uni. He's done an internship with um, a local IFA to where he lives. He lives up in York and he's looking to move to Bristol. And he's also, whilst he was doing that um, internship, studied and passed his RO1 exam. Okay. Now, to me, that shows somebody who is committed that really wants to take their career into financial services. Um, It would help if we had more companies. And I do have a handful. I am placing some grabs with some companies. So they're not all saying no. We just need more um, people to help that transition, bring these people into the business and train them. I mean, they're like sponges. We should be able to do it. The other thing I noticed on a a program I watched recently was that there are schools that are promoting workplace. So basically, they've got schools that they treat like work. So the kids come into school and they they work at school nine to five. They have their hour lunch break. They're encouraged to go off into two days and work placements. And there's about 20, 30 of these schools around the country. Now, because not everyone wants to go to university, and nor do I believe everybody should. No. Um, so, if we had, what I noticed on this particular, it's a panorama programme. What I noticed was all to do with sort of mainly manufacturing and engineering. I didn't see from this programme that it was, um, there were professional services type encouragements there. I might be wrong, I might need to do some more research into it. But that would be brilliant if we could get kids maybe coming into financial planning firms as part of their, 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 their education piece, the two days a week they spend in an office learning stuff and start them off at the bottom and build, build them up. 
Um, maybe we need to add more of that. Let's hope that this, uh, I mean, it's a theme that comes up on the podcast quite a lot, is this whole idea of education. And yes, we're educating our customers when we talk to them about financial planning and we're talking to them about the various products that are available, but there is just a genuine lack of understanding in the UK public about financial services. And, and obviously that, that uh, attitude tends to be polluted by mis-selling scandals and this, that and the other. But I do firmly believe that there needs to be more education at a grassroots level in schools, in universities, in colleges, in order to just make the industry appear much better. Yeah, more sexier perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it will never get sexy, but it will never get sexy. We can yeah. maybe make it a little bit more exciting than it currently appears. But you help, you know, what we do in financial planning, well I'm not actually in financial planning per se anymore, but what we do, you know, you help people, you help people achieve their financial goals. You know, financial planning and talking to some other people I know quite well in the industry uh, is becoming much more of a coaching exercise when you're counselling exercise when you're talking to people. It's not all about product blogging anymore. Indeed. So if we can start losing, um, and I think we are, some of that image around financial services and financial planning, then I think it will appeal to more people. I remember when I was at school, one of the subjects I probably did best in was business studies or commerce, I think it was called back in the day, show my age. But it was that that sort of what drove me to want to kind of leave school when I did to go into, uh, you know, a bigger business and, and sort of learn and work my way up. But I think we just need a bit more of that. We've got to stop saying to all our kids, yeah, go to uni, go to uni, because, you know, these people come out of university and it's not a bad thing, but sometimes they've got degrees and things that aren't even related to what they end up doing. So we need a healthier balance, I think, of people going to uni and those being, um, that aren't so academically minded, encouraged down a different path and financial services could be one of them. Jess, thank you so much for a fascinating insight into your recruitment business and also your fascinating thoughts about the financial services industry. Before we go, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. So are you happy to stay for a few more moments to finish that off? Yeah, of course, yeah. Let's ask this very important question. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, you know, perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand, what would it be? Encourage people to be more open-minded in their approach to hiring. Stop trying to find the moon on a stick or the finished article because article, neither exists. Go for people with the right attitude, drive and ambition, and offer more training to fill any gaps and look at people's transferable skills. And also be more flexible to working you know, flexible working arrangements for return to work mums and people, not just females, but people that need reduced hours for whatever reason. We need flexible working, I think, in the industry too. Recruit for attitude, train for skill. That yeah, was a mantra. Absolutely. That was a mantra we had at uh, at Bright Grey when we started Bright Grey fifteen years ago, and I've always subscribed to that view. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. Um, it's something that's been literally recently introduced to me within the last week or so. It's, it's an app called Workflowy, which is available on uh, the iPhone you know, smartphones as well as on your PC, and it allows you to do sort of workflow. Uh, listing and sublisting and shared documents and it's all internet based so whoever many however many people are working on that particular project can use this this tool and this document to update stuff and kind of real time and save it and share it brilliant and finally what's the best business book you've ever read tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it 
I've had quite a few over the years, but I do like the the old one, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, uh, by Dr. Spencer Johnson. Um, it's always stuck with me because it, I, mean, I do go back to it quite often because it's a good, um, does a really good job of helping you kind of manage change, mm-hmm. up change, and embrace change as opposed to getting stuck in a rut. And the next one I'm going to read is Daniel H. Pink's Drive, which has been recommended to me recently. So I've just ordered that and downloaded it on my Kindle last night. Yeah, that one's on my list as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. and, and before we go, Jess, I'm sure that quite a lot of people who've been listening to the podcast today are going to want to get in touch with you to talk about some of their recruitment term requirements. All the um, contact details will appear on the show notes page, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. But before you go, let's just tell everyone how they can contact you, Jess, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Plus, or your website, or wherever it might be. Basically, I'm on all of them. So Twitter is uh, Sandringham Wood, but it's Wood without, it's Sandringham, S-A-N-D-R-I-N-G-H-A-M-W-D. My website is www.sandringandwood.com. Uh, my email address is jess at sandringandwood.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn and Google+. Fantastic. Jess, thank Thanks you for. so much for talking to me today. Let me wish you every success in the future, and hopefully I'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Thank you very much for your time. listening to the marketing protection and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on itunes simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash itunes and leave a review If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay?